You're listening to A Divine Foundation for Marriage, a sermon series about We Are One. For more on this series and others, visit ffmcenterville.com. Genesis chapter 2. This is the start of our marriage sermon series. And there's not one person in this room, I dare say not one person who is alive today whose life is not affected by marriage. Say amen. Everybody's life is affected by marriage. Whether it's been affected good, whether it's been affected bad, whether it's been absent or it's been there or not, everybody's life is affected by it. And so it's important, I think, for the church to take time out and address the issue uh, uh, periodically, if not as often as possible. And I always love this time of year when we get the chance to do this. And so, here we go. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the divine foundation for marriage. The Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground of the Lord God had formed, or the Lord God had formed the beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to man to see what he would call them. Interesting. God makes them, Adam gets to name them. Whatever man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to the beasts of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And he slept and took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man he made into a woman. And brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So Father, bless the reading of the word. God, help us to hear it and receive it. And bless these weeks that come, God as we talk about this most important issue, marriage. Now, maybe this is uh, the first uh, time you've been at FFM. Maybe you haven't been here a lot. Uh, Maybe you've started coming recently and you've never been a part of one of our marriage sermon series. I don't apologize for telling the truth. Amen? I don't apologize for telling the truth about marriage. And here's the issue. We have to understand that there is one and one owner only of marriage and that's God if God therefore owns it then it is God who sets its parameters it is God who defines it it is God who sets it up it is God who knows all the details about it we don't have the right to redefine it or act like we own it so marriage is a divine idea not yours Not mine. It's not like Adam went to God and said, Hey, God, I've named everything that you've created, but I can't relate to anything. How about this idea? It's not like Adam did that. Now, Adam would have had had the intellect of God. Adam would have been perfect in all his creation. Adam would have had the mind of God at this particular. This super intelligent guy could have had this idea, but he didn't. It was God's idea. Today, we live in a society that has little regard and honor for the sanctity of it. If you don't believe me, you can't watch a television show that doesn't make fun of it. 
that doesn't use it and glorify the dysfunction of it and family to make us callous and numb towards the importance of it. The world has become cold to the idea of what marriage is. Hello, church. I'm not going to weigh you down with statistics because everybody knows that 90% of statistics are always made up on the spot anyway. Some of you will get that in a little bit. But the numbers, the numbers are tragic. The numbers are so tragic that it's evident that this idea of God's, this idea of God, marriage, is in danger. Would you say amen? And if we're going to save it, if we're going to understand and live in it in God's way, then we've got to pattern it after his instructions or else catastrophe is coming. And let's just face it, everybody's life is affected by marriage. Whether you agree with marriage or you don't agree with marriage, whether you've been married or hadn't been married, whether you have a great marriage or you have a bad marriage, it doesn't make a difference. Everybody's life is affected by marriage. There's still a lot of folk who are confused about it today. Marriage is a viable and important part of society. And when you monkey with it, when you mess with it, not only do people suffer, but society suffers. The problem is the concept of honor and trust and faithfulness and commitment seem old-fashioned to us in the world we live in. It's a confusion, and it shouldn't surprise us considering the, the worldly attitudes and philosophies about it every turn. I have found that today people shop for a relationship like they shop for clothes. What's in? It's the fad. This is the thing. Marriage is still the best idea. You know why? Because it's God's idea. He created it. He designed it. He established it. And we see that it's so important at its foundational precepts that God includes it in the created story. And the story, God could have put it somewhere else in the Bible. But he didn't. It's so important. It's so foundational to what God was doing on the earth that he included it in the creation process story. He said, Adam names all the creatures. That's amazing. That's amazing. How would you like to be in charge of that? I mean, how would you like to be the one who looked at a platypus and came up with its name? Yeah, it's not a beaver. It's not a duck. Come on. It's a mammal, but it lays an egg. Okay. What are we doing here with this critter? God, did you have a hiccup here? Lord, I got a problem. Did you sneeze over this critter? I mean, just think about some of the creatures that he would have to name. I mean, like a giraffe. Did he get stuck partway, God? I don't know. Did he get... What happened? 
the story, God says. But Adam was alone. He couldn't relate to anything in created process. He couldn't relate to anything that was created other than God himself. But God wasn't created. He always has been. And so Adam had a relationship with God. But it wasn't about that. God said, Adam can't relate to anything in the created world that I've put him in. So important. So God established it as the first and most foundational, fundamental building block of any society. Find a society who is doing away with marriage, damaging marriage, or trying to redefine marriage, you will find a society that is crumbling. Both spiritually, physically, financially, emotionally. Look at a society that has challenged God's foundational process of marriage. You will find it struggling. So if we want to experience marriage in its most vital, vital way, then we've got to have a relationship with God. We've got to know that marriage is a divine idea. It's God's idea. Not only that, it is divine in its origin. You've got to grab a hold of this, okay? According to the scripture, marriage is ordained by God as an intimate, permanent partnership between man and woman in which the two in which the two become one in the whole of life. Now, many years we've been doing, my wife and I have been doing marriage counseling, and I am always baffled at how separate husband and wives live. It just blows my mind, the concept of his and hers inside of marriage. This is my money, this is her money. She gets to spend her money the way she wants. I get to spend my money the way I want. Right? I, I'm just baffled by this. Even, even the way we set budgets up. She pays the light bill, I pay the mortgage. What? Okay, tick her off and you're going to be sleeping in the dark. I, I am baffled by it. It, it, and it, it's that the structure of saying we're not one, and maybe it works for you, but I'm going to challenge it. It's not a biblical idea. Everything that comes into my household is for my household. What's mine is hers, and what's hers is hers. I'm sorry, did I say that wrong? <laughs> Beyond a shadow of a doubt, marriage is an important issue in life. Somebody say amen. amen. Just, if it doesn't, if it doesn't wreck it, just look at the way the enemy, the world, and everybody attacks it. What's so bad about two people falling in love and living their life together for the rest of their days honoring God and their joining? What is so evil about it? But isn't that the thing we struggle with the most? If you don't believe it's important, just do a Google search. Just, just do it on, on marriage. Just do it. How about this? I did one on Amazon real quickly. 20,000 books came up. Covering marital problems and improving communication. Just by saying marriage on Amazon. 20,000, and I hadn't even read one yet. 
Have you ever wondered what the original manuscript has to say? Quick reference, just a quick reference of this book. Over 500 Old and New Testament scriptures deal with marriage. Either marriage, husband, wife, married, that kind of thing. Over 500. So get ready, I'm going to cover them all here in the next few minutes. <laughs> no. In Genesis, we see the first marriage. Let me just tell you something. If we see it in Genesis, that means God wants it to be strong. God wants it to be strong. He wants it to last long. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, he says, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Why? Why would Jesus say that? Why would he say that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because God created marriage as a loyal partnership between one man and one woman to glorify him through their life together. Why? Because marriage is the firmest foundation for building family and society. Why? Because God designed sexual expression to help couples build intimacy and permanent bond. Why? Because marriage is the mirror of God's covenant relationship with his people. Why would Jesus say this? Because marriage is created. It is created out of divine order and based on a covenant relationship, not a contract. Contract marriage says, I will give you this if you give me that. But the moment you don't give me that, I don't give you this. That's contract. That's not covenant. And too much of marriage turns into contract. I'll change if she changes. I'll change if he changes. Ain't nobody changing. Somebody's got to be first. And uh, I'll just put it to you this way, guys. That's you. Well, if we're going to lead. If we're going to lead. You don't lead from the back. I didn't, my wife didn't change until I did. Thank God she changed. <laughs> just kidding. Glory to God. Things ain't going to get different. I'll give her this, she'll give me that. She don't get this unless I get that. He don't get this. That's a sin. That is a sinful way to be married. Contract is a sinful way to be married. The Bible condemns it. And that's why nobody's happy. We've got to do away with that. We've got to focus on covenant. Let me just put this up here for you, and I want you to understand this, okay? Focus of marriage should not be whether our spouse meets all our conditions perfectly to provide an easy relationship to enjoy. No, no, no. Rather, we should focus on the opportunities God gives us in marriage to build our own character. I mean, I'm not going to apologize to you this morning. Being married is a character builder. How many would say I failed? Buckle your seatbelt. Let me just bless you this morning. Y'all ready? 
I know you probably didn't know that until I'm about to say it. You probably had no idea of this until I've just, I'm just about to show, I'm going to lay heavy on you and you, it's going to shock you. You're married to a person who doesn't meet all the conditions. That's probably surprising you. You are married to a person who doesn't meet all the conditions so that you learn unconditional love. How else would you learn it? If your love, if you loved a person who met all the conditions, how would you learn unconditional love? How would you learn it? You're married to a person who needs mercy. So that you learn to give it. I'm amazed at Christians. I am absolutely amazed at Christians. Everybody wants grace. Nobody wants to give it. Everybody wants mercy. Nobody wants to give it. We hate the law until we get the opportunity to apply it to somebody. Boy, I'm preaching good this morning. The main purpose of marriage is... Is that through your marriage you become transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. That is why you are married. Marriage has, has become God's chisel. How many would you say your marriage has beat on you a little bit? Tumbled you around a little bit. Hello somebody. This divine, I mean it's in Ephesians, check this out. Check this out in Ephesians. Are you ready? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, it says this. For this cause, for what cause? There's a cause. So the Bible says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and, the shall, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. This is a mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. reading my Bible, man. God just told us how marriage should look. He just told us what marriage was for. And he just told us how to glorify him in it. He says, this is what marriage should look like. Husband and wife, leave everybody else and cleave to one another. Bingo. He says, why? Because that's how Christ is glorified. And this is how you do it. Husbands, love your wife like you love your own body. Listen, I love my body. I don't know about y'all. My body's hungry. I feed it. My body's cold. I warm it. When my body aches, I'm finding a way to get rid of the pain. That's the way I'm supposed to love my wife. Hello, somebody. It is so good. And see, guys, I, I'll put it to you. When you love your wife that way, you won't have any issue with respect. I had this guy come in my office. I had this guy literally walk in my office. He walked in my office, opened up the door. He said, you need to tell my wife she needs to submit to me. I 
got to tell your wife to submit to you. I'm still working on my wife. because right now I just want to punch you in the mouth. And then I want to hear you say that name with a fat lip. Get out of my office. That's what I told him. Get out of my office. I don't have time for this. This is nonsense. Husbands, you don't have any problems with your wife when you love her as much as you love you. Paul says there's responsibilities in marriage. He goes all the way back to Adam. He said, this is the way it was from the beginning. So you can't, I mean, you can't redefine it. It's, all right, I got to move on here. All right, uh, marriage is a divine, it's divine in purpose. Now, Genesis 2, uh, Matthew 19, and Ephesians chapter 5, they all say the same thing, therefore. Anytime you see the Bible say therefore, it's therefore a reason. Therefore. For shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh. Marriage is a divine institution for companionship and intimacy. You got to leave everybody else. I said you got to leave everybody else. It's a sacred lifelong union between one man and one. I heard this morning, I was, I was putting my tie on, listening to the sports center before I come to church. It's all right, I already prayed. This owner of an NBA team, his wife is suing his girlfriend for gifts he bought his girlfriend out of money that his wife is calling common property. <laughs> what an idiot! signifies this mystery between Christ and the church. Let me help you out. Christ ain't got another girlfriend. Jesus ain't got something on the side. Jesus ain't spending any of heaven's resources on anything else but you. Glory to God. This poor guy's going to be broke. Man, I'm just telling you, he's going to... Wow. <laughs> Marriage is a gift. Can you say it's a gift? It's a gift from our Heavenly Father. It's given so that husbands and wives can enrich and encourage each other in every area of their life together. Here's a question for you because I've got to move along. When was the first time you looked at your spouse and thought, 
how in the world did I choose to marry this person? <laughs> Carlene King's face is red. Oh, my aching back, Carlene. proof right here that everybody in this room has thought about this question right here. You'll be the last person in the world you'd think, no, I'm not saying that. I never thought that. Most of us in here have asked this question at some point. I mean, come on, we stand at the altar, we're getting married, and we, yes, raise your hand if before you got married you argued with the person you were going to marry. Before you got married, yeah, you, yeah, you had a, and you did, yes, you know, everybody has a quarrel, everybody has an argument, all those good things. It just happens, and I don't, even the best of marriages have, have these quarrels and, and these, these arguments, even the best of them. They get there, and they, they just, you know, it, it just happens, but every one of us thinks standing at that altar, even though that's happened before in our lives, once we get married, ours is going to be the only marriage in history that's going to be characterized exclusively by tenderness, respect, and love. Somebody poured you a glass of Kool-Aid, and you drank every bit of it. It don't take long to discover that this seemingly perfect person didn't escape the stain of sin. And we begin to wonder, what in the world have I done? I've met all kinds of marriages and I've seen them, some of them that are just half hanging on because of children. They're just barely surviving. Uh, they're staying to married be marriage because of kids or because of finances or for the fear of being loneliness. Some, you know, they're not consistently happy. Um, some, some, some can be on and off happy and, and maybe out of a fortunate combination of circumstances, you know, they're, they're together and, and things look all right. Most of, most of the marriages that are remaining, though, I think are, are not about happiness or unhappiness, but just about accommodations or adjustments, compromise. I mean, we're just married. Conflict in marriage is inevitable. Because you married a broken person. And a broken person married a broken person. You. When conflict arises, though, we've got to remind ourselves for a moment, we've got, to, we've got to realize we're not one. We're not one. It's at this moment that we're not one. A little while back, just standing in the kitchen, it's been like three weeks. Mine and my wife's schedule just been so full. We hadn't spent any time together. Fridays had to be canceled because of this, that, and the other. And, and we just hadn't, we just gone and gone and gone and go. And so all of a sudden, we just came together in the kitchen and boom! You ever had one of those boom moments? Like a volcano went off, lava's all over everything. I don't know what happened. And it, it, it spooked us so much because that doesn't happen anymore. It used to happen a lot. It spooked us so much that we both just kind of backed up and identically, almost at the same time, looked at one another and said, what just happened? It just happened. Because at that moment, there was a realization, we aren't one right here. We've each got agendas. And that's why this happened. I don't even remember what it was about. That's how important it was. Because it didn't matter. Because, see, in my mind, nothing trumps the idea of being one with my wife. Whatever it is, it's not that important. I'm just going to tell you. 
It's, it's, it's like, you know, it's like Kool-Aid or oxygen. People say, man, I'm dying. I'm just going to die if I don't get a drink of Kool-Aid. No, you ain't. Right? But if somebody's holding your head underneath the water in the pool and you say, I'm going to die if I don't get a, a breath of air, that's, you're going to die. <laughs> you need to ask yourself when you're arguing, is this Kool-Aid or oxygen? You'll probably get over it. I don't have time for Kool-Aid arguments anymore. It just don't make any difference. I can't be, I can't be outside of my relationship with my wife over Kool-Aid. I can't do it. Conflict is inevitable. We've got to understand. We've got one purpose. Let me help you out, church. You've got one purpose. We've got one goal. We have one life together. We are one. That's it. Whatever threatens that has got to go. Let me give you some vital keys real quickly. Here, here's some vital keys. I'm just going to run through them real quick. I'll throw them all four up there. First is communication. Do you understand how many people come into my office and say, we just can't talk? We can't communicate. No, you are communicating. You just ain't doing it right. Right? We can't communicate. Good communication. Let me help you out with your communication. It requires a pure heart. It requires a clear conscience, goodwill, and discipline, and practice, and determination. Listen to me, church. A pure heart, when I'm communicating, especially in conflict, why would I want anything less than the best for Lisa? Hello? Most of the time, the argument's about trying to cover up something stupid you did anyway. Just say, I'm sorry. I was a bonehead. Second is respect. That's so good. Love comes and goes, but respect endures. You can say amen to that. And it's going to come up. It's going to come up once sooner or later in your marriage. I got these three D's we work on: dishonor, devalue, and disrespect. Those are not allowed in marriage. Grow up. You cannot dishonor, you cannot devalue, and you cannot um, disrespect each other in marriage. If you do, the fourth D is coming. It's called divorce. When I'm angry, my wife's name is Lisa. Or else I'm going to be sleeping on the couch. And you're going to want to punch me in the mouth. After her. It's, it's respect. It's easy. It's, uh, I mean, it's one of those things where we say, man, I want you to treat me, right, with respect. I want you to treat me with honor, okay? Well, that's kind of a give thing, isn't it? I found the more I respect people, the more they respect me. The more You cannot over-honor a person. I said you can't over-honor a person. You can't over-honor people. It's impossible. Value is very important. God gave you a gift. It's called your spouse. Value. And the fourth key is forgiveness. Let me just help you out right here. Let me help you out. If you are mistreating your spouse because of the way someone treated you in your past, you need to forgive that person. Why in the world would you drag around a dead weight like that? Why? Why? And then use the excuse. Oh, the reason I treat them this way is because some... Really? 
That's an excuse. It's not a reason. That's saying, I don't want to deal with something, and so this person gets to suffer because of it. Forgive folk, okay? Can I say forgive people? Forgive people. Mar- marriage is a divine in its formation, okay? Now, I've I got to go through this quick here. Marriage divine in its formation, okay? God sculpts Adam. He sculpts him out of dust and he forms him in his own image and he breathes the breath of life into Adam. He becomes a living being. He's just like that. And so he sculpts him and he's got this great, great, great creation molded by the master maker. And, and, and he's flawless in his features. And I, I, I'm just seeing he was perfect in his intellect and his emotion. He possessed a brilliant mind, undiminished by sin, Faultless and tender and totally unselfish. That's who he was. He was in perfect harmony with God. And let's consider Eve. God, she's such an amazing creature. Think about this. God looks at Adam and says, in all of his perfectness, He's got nothing to relate to in all of creation. And so God puts him to sleep, a deep sleep, takes a bone from his side, covers the hole back up with flesh, forms Eve from this bone. Now think about this. He didn't ask Adam's permission. He didn't instruct Adam what he was going to do. He didn't tell Adam how he was going to do it. Adam's only job was to name everything God brought to him. And so there she is. God brings. He wouldn't have been an unusual circumstance for Adam. God said, hey, I got this creation. Adam would have been used to that. Okay, my job's to name it. I'm going to look at it. What does it look like? In awe and majesty and inspiration, he would have looked at this woman and, and what God was doing. He called her woman, which means female man. Rough, rough translation. Okay? And instantly, think about this, he recognizes the similarity to himself. He had no knowledge of how she was created, yet he looked right at her and said, that's bone of my bone. She's created like nothing else in all of creation. Amazing who she is. That's bone of my bone. He didn't feel himself and say, something's missing here. Give it back. God didn't give him instructions. God didn't say, hey, I took a bone from your rib, uh, from your body to rib, and I made this, and now you can name it. God didn't tell him any of that. He just saw her and instantly saw himself. He said, that we're one. That's bone of my bone. We're one. Look it. Look it. Woo, man. We are one. And side by side, they lived in perfect harmony. So good. 
And the Bible says that man and woman were both naked and they weren't ashamed. So blessed. This relationship was perfect in its purity and in its innocence. There's no sin in them. There's no strife between them. They're at peace with God. They're at peace with each other. They're at peace with creation. This was truly the perfect marriage. It's in paradise. But something happened. Sin. Satan comes in the form of a serpent. And he speaks to Eve. Adam's not someplace else. Adam's standing right there. You've got to read your Bible. He's standing right there. Speaks to Eve and says, hey, hey, this is good. You should have some. Long story short, you know the story. I don't have time to preach your Bible, the whole thing to you today. But I'm, I'm just on number 100 scripture. I've got 400 more to go. She takes, she partakes of it. She says it's good. She hands it to Adam. Now, without saying a word, he, and without hesitating, he partakes of it. All of these things happen. Sometimes, 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 Satan uses even good things to lure us from God's will. Instead of fleeing from temptation... We flirted with it. I'm not beating her up. I don't, I don't do that because Adam was responsible. And we've had this great discussion. And, I, you know, I, this Tuesday night is, is discipleship dinner. And, and uh, guys, that's just for guys, in case you forgot. Not, not the ladies. Ladies, encourage your guy to be here because I need to speak to him. And some of the things I may say to him, I don't want to say in front of you. Because I don't want to dishonor your husband in front of you. I want to challenge him so that he goes and be the better man with you, okay? So get over it. Here we go. These guys have spent seven months now. It's been amazing. They committed to the process. It was, it's amazing. But anyway, so uh, he's leading. Adam is leading. It's his issue. And we've had this great discussion about why the tree was even in the garden. I mean, if God's a good God, why would he do that? Let me tell you why the tree was there. This is my commentary. I'm writing it. That tree was put in the garden as a sign of man's submission to God. Listen to me. See, in a time of temptation, you've got to realize that temptation's not about the thing you're tempted to do. It's always about your submission to God. So we can get mad and blame everybody and everything. It's porn's fault. It's a credit card's fault. It's I don't get paid enough fault. It's my boss man's fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my husband's fault. It's all these issues of why I'm tempted. No, temptation is never about the thing you are tempted with. It is always about your submission to God. And my question is, in all of the trees, of all of the fruit that Adam and Eve could have ate from, how did they find themselves there? So they partake, they fall, they sent, they find themselves waiting together for the delights of this new divine wisdom that Satan had promised them, and all they got was a horrid sense of guilt and shame. Satan's the only one who will tempt you to sin and then guilt you for doing it. 
their spirits died at that moment. And their physical bodies began to slowly die too. Suddenly, their nakedness became a symbolic symbol of their sin. And this is good teaching. I wish I had time to do it all. But we've got from now until Jesus comes back. So, God's love is revealed to us in creation. That's why I think marriage is put in the beginning. And it's also revealed to us in our salvation. Sure it is. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Can I just say this with all boldness? There's no hope for a marital relationship to become all it can be until both husband and wife have the assurance of forgiveness and acceptance by God. That's what happened in my life. Six, I've told you this. Six months into our marriage, uh, you know, over 22 years ago now, we were, she was leaving, and, and uh, sh- some short weeks after that, I got saved, she gets saved, and we, we realized the salvation experience, and God puts us on a path. And it was an amazing path because what we did is we both both learned what it meant to be saved and why God had saved us so that our marriage could glorify him. There's no hope for a marital relationship to become all it can be until both parties settle their issue before God. If you're a wife and your husband's coming to church alone... This is not good. There's, there's not. If you're, if you're a husband and your wife is coming to church alone, you, you can't blame each other then for the lack of hope that's in the marriage. This is what's happening. My wife and I did this together. That's what we're asking you to do. See, now, quickly here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this. Marriage is, a div- is divine and it's, it's discipline. I want you to understand this. I, I'm just going to share this. Discipline is one of the main core. It, it's the main core of a healthy marriage. It, it is the main core. I, I understood this. I'm sitting in McDonald's in Shipley, Florida, across the table from my pastor. He's there every morning drinking coffee. I go there and I didn't drink coffee, but Coke or sweet tea or whatever they had. And I was sitting there. I can remember on Tuesday mornings and my wife was working in the McDonald's. I was off on Tuesdays, and she's working behind the counter, and Rick and I are around the corner, man, and I'm, I'm like, hey, got to fix this marriage, man. What is going on? And, and Rick says this to me. I've never forgot. He said, discipline's the main core of a healthy marriage, Don. I don't know about you, but, you know, I would jot down notes. I'm always taking notes. I, always take, and I, I was taking notes, and I jotted that statement down, and it stayed with me. He said, trust and truthfulness should be at its highest order inside of your marriage. He said, you, you've got to understand that takes time. You need to be honest with Lisa about your feelings. You need to be honest with Lisa about the things you're thinking about. You need to be honest with Lisa about the things you're doing. He said... Don, those peanuts that you grew up planting, they didn't flourish by themselves. You had to work hard. 
Those watermelons that you planted, you had to work hard. They just didn't flourish by themselves. And, and he said this statement too. He said, love doesn't flourish by itself. You've got to work hard for it. You've got to be disciplined in it. He said, Don, the greatest ongoing challenge in your life from now until Jesus comes back is to gonna keep your priorities biblical. All I wanted to do was not have an argument this afternoon. <laughs> right? All I want to do is figure out how to make her happy. All I wanted to do was figure out what was going on. I didn't want to talk about from now to eternity. What a grief, man. He said that to me, and I, I, I mean, there's been things he said to me in life that they just burned into my brain. I've never forgotten them, and that's good marriages are the product of careful cultivation. Come on, somebody. The greatest ongoing challenge in life is to keep one's priority in a biblical order. Cultivate your marriage. It's worth it. I said it's worth it. Do you hear me? We, we set the stage now for the next few weeks. And I want you to grab this. I'm just going to throw all of these up here. Oops. Let me go back. Can I go back to that slide? Stand with me. Put them all up there, Beth. Thank you. Remember, in your married life, you're married to a person who don't meet all the conditions so that you might learn to love unconditionally. Remember, you're married to a person who needs mercy so that you might learn to give it. You're married to a person who, who does not deserve so that you learn to pour out your life lavishly on that person who doesn't respond appropriately. And when you do this, you become like the God you worship. That is so powerful to set this up. Next week, I want to talk about the help meet, not the help mate. Guys, your wife's not a breed cow. I'll never calls her a helpmate. I'm going to talk about the helpmeet. After that, I want to talk about how I think that cake and biscuits equal cookies. The week after that, I want to talk about me, myself, and I. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about my. I just want to lay some things before you, this, this stretch that we have this year for marriage. And I, please, I, be here. I, now, we won't get to go consecutive because I've got some responsibilities uh, that David has asked me to take care of in Vancouver and a couple of places, but uh, be here, right? Be here because these are going to be so important to who we are and what God is doing again. And I, I didn't decorate the stage up this year, all those things, because, I mean, they look pretty to look at, but really I just want to give you some meat to chew on. You know what I'm saying? I hope you'll take this. My notes are available online. 
you know, download them. If you can't get them, we'll get them to you. I skipped a lot in this, but I, I feel like God is really going to speak amazingly to us through this. I worked for a couple months on it, so and even late last night, Mark was like, hey, what do you got? And I'm like, man, I don't know how to open this yet. I've been working on it for a while, but anyway. I love you, and I thank God for your commitment to marriage. I thank God that he can use that for his glory and his honor. We're not asking you to be perfect. We're asking you to be willing to be perfected. And I guarantee you, if you are, your marriage will change. Father, we love you. We're a people who are lost without you. We're a people, God, who admit um, this is a difficult area, but we know we're not the only ones who would say that. It's so vital, God. Would you just speak to us? Would you use this for your glory and honor? Would you heal, deliver, and set us free so that our marriages could glorify you? Do it for your glory and your honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, give the Lord a hand of praise. Turn around and tell somebody you love them.